This Agile Life, episode 138, Dirty Diapers. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. I'm Jason Tice. And I'm Lee McCauley. And I'm John Sextro. And uh, we're back again here with This Agile Life. Starting off this episode, Lee, he's got some news articles that we're going to, some news wait a stories. Some wait a news second. This is like everything sort. old is new again. You know, John, when we started this podcast seven years ago, we used to do the news and you hated it. So we brought back the news. And I think it's very fitting that our intro was inspired by 60 Minutes on CBS. So Lee's going to tell us what's up here. Yeah. Uh, so... So to be fair, these are the news items that uh, that caught my attention today as I was looking around, um, and some of them uh, they caught me my attention for the wrong reasons. So uh, first off, some some normal good stuff. I thought this was kind of cool. Amazon is releasing a dedicated API for childcare gadgets. So now Alexa will be able to keep track of when your baby poops. Um, I'm pretty sure they've got some additional sensors for that, or maybe maybe you'll just say Alexa track a dirty diaper change, but that's not the point. Um, I think they should definitely add some more sensors to Alexa, Ugh. and this new API would be awesome. Ugh. No dirty diaper <laughs> sensors. It it also it, it will also uh, keep track of weight and the sleep patterns and feedings as well. So, uh, so you can now integrate uh, your own devices and uh, your own apps into Alexa to keep track of, of your baby's uh, development. Or your grandpa's dirty diapers. Good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious if there's anything unique about that that makes it specific for children. Mm. Other than data protection policy, where if you record data about minors, you have different policies for how it's persisted based upon locale. Sorry to be Debbie Downer here to explain why you may need a separate API for that versus adults. Maybe. I don't know. Way to go, Debbie Downer. Uh, he's got to talk about policy, right? Life wouldn't be good oh, unless we had governance. Govern- oh, governance. You said the word. It's the first time John has said the word this year. Um, although John John has kind of a new role, and uh, John's now the governor of Agile Initiatives in the in the organization where he works. So he should tell us about what that really means. But Lee, what's the next news story? <laughs> okay, the next the next one I have is um, Google is kind of scaling back their Android things, and they're going to just focus on two different types of devices. Um, so I think this is more of a, uh, a move by, uh, by Google to, to make sure that they don't uh, saturate uh, and, and spread themselves too thin. But I think it's probably a, a pretty good move. Um, I played a little bit with Android things. It's kind of the IOT from, Ant, from, uh, from Google. Um, and on that same kind of note, 
Arduino now has is, has an IoT cloud beta that they are opening up for end-to-end development. So, interesting things in the IoT realm. Nice. I've never. I didn't know Android things and air quotes was a thing. Yep. Okay, so I want to move over to SD Times, which this was the first time I had I had started to to look at SD Times, and I quickly figured out that SD Times is really just a for pay uh, news site, as a lot of these developer sites are. Whoever pays them, they put a story up there. But so this one caught my attention, um, and I might be editorializing a little bit on this. So the the uh, uh, the title is Block Kit for Slack Helps Developers Create Engaging User Interfaces. And it talks about um, uh, Slack is introducing a new solution to help developers build apps that are more visually appealing. The, it's a UI framework called Block Kit, and it's made out of stackable blocks. I, I think they're going to call it Visual Basic. Oh, but um, bump. Ha ha. But anyway, wow, wow. So, the, so Lee, let, let's have some fun. Give me a use case. Like, you'd be the product designer. What? I mean, I appreciate innovation and having having had the privilege of actually running an innovation business for a couple of years. I get innovation, but some of these ideas. I, I mean, can we think of a use case? And that's not to that's not to be negative about the idea, but just how or what? That's an excellent question. I mean, there. I mean, can, can I build a nice interactive Tetris game in my Slack, you know, in my Slack interface, you know, and drop things up and down based upon how I rate different posts from people? I mean, okay, that's really cool. Uh, so the the thing they've got right now is the framework is currently being used to help knowledge management platform provider Guru okay. capture information that is shared on Slack with blockchain okay. dividers. Um, well, no, 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 no. That's yeah. real life because I get so, that and actually in the space where I work. You know, if you are in an organization and you have a thing called an intranet or a portal or sometimes even called SharePoint or Slack and you are not mining it for analytics to actually know what's going on in your organization, you are missing the boat. And I mean, this is something that Gartner even talks about now is where if you have not instrumented your social platforms at work with basic analytics, uh, as a manager, you don't really know what people are doing and you can get valuable insight so i get that that makes a lot of sense actually yeah this to me this this sounds like uh uh google forms for slack i would have thought our, our innovation games guy would have jumped all over the stackable blocks concept and wanted to start building his own stackable blocks interfaces on slack what do you think, Mr. Really? Stackable Blocks? Well, I, I, I don't know. I have to admit, you know, Slack's interesting. Again, the, everyone who's listened to our podcast knows the space that I work in, in the management consulting space. And it's been interesting to watch Slack. I remember the, the organization that, that uh, John Lee and I work for. It, it actually, like it happens in many organizations, it showed up because somebody just turned it on. Like a, we hired him. Actually, it was a foreign employee. came back. They had been using Slack at his company. And he literally, over lunch one day, he just turned it on, set up a test instance, invited 10 colleagues. Next thing you know, Slack invades your organization like a parasite. And what Slack has done really well, things that we talk about in this podcast, it has a great user experience. It has extensible APIs, and it has awesome mobile functionality so you can work from anywhere. So to their credit, they built an awesome product, and they created a 
governance, I want to say a governance and information security nightmare for many companies because next thing you know, you got people using a you know a Slack instance that runs on the cloud. It is secured. And of course, Slack, you know, had a, had a security breach early on, but they recovered with two-factor authentication now. And there's they've actually done a lot to improve that. But it is a it is a challenge. So so again, if you're in that space and like if you happen to be in leadership, you know, like listen to us. Number one, um, free advice that I've seen organizations do this. Don't try to kill Slack. Like if you try to turn it off and say don't do it. It will come back in a secret instance. Someone will set it up again. So embrace it, but learn how to provide it in a way that you can manage it. This episode brought to you by our fine friends at Slack. <laughs> we just did. Yeah, I wish. We just did paid content, Lee. Well, John, that's not a bad. Uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, that's not a bad idea. And again, real life, a, a true story is, you know, I mean, again, everyone knows I love governance this week. I've been working in the governance space. So working on governance for automation strategy this week. And this idea, like something that we do in our organization where John Lee and I work, we have a committee. So we actually do some element of governance by committee, which kind of is the, call them the, do we call them the Slack police? I know we used to. Uh, where oh, they yeah. kind of try to say, this is how we want to use this tool for the greater good of the organization. And they do that in, through collaboration as opposed to someone saying, no, do it this way or you're kicked out. So it's an, it's an autonomy team. Yeah. So maybe, so maybe the idea <laughs> here is this API will give you some um, interesting analytics that you can build. Um, you can build a governance agent and, or you can generate heat maps to say, what are people actually talking about on Slack? I know there's open source code on, on, um, on GitHub that people have contributed where if you want to instrument your Slack instance with a heat map, it will kind of just give you a word cloud of what's trending. It's pretty cool. So um, then you can just set it up. So give it a shot. So, I, yeah, it doesn't sound to me like this uh, This is really AI-based. It's really just uh, a UI platform uh, on Slack. Um, however, my the last story I wanted to bring up does actually have an AI connection. I'm not going to let you bring it up, Lee. Um, no, we're not talking about AI. Okay. No, this is the governance podcast. Everyone just disconnected. <laughs> no, AI, what's, what's awesome? Okay, so um, I'm not sure if this is awesome or not, but it did strike me as interesting. So uh, Clever Commit Coding Assistant uses AI to protect against bugs. Um, yeah, so uh, so here's – I have a, a little bit of an AI background, so I, I this piqued my attention. Um, so I, I want to read just a, a, like the first couple of paragraphs. It won't take long. Uh, a new coding assistant is leveraging artificial intelligence to learn from previous bugs and bug fixes and identify when new bugs are introduced. Clever Commit, originally known as Commit Assistant, is a new AI technology designed for programmers by Ubisoft LaForge. Ubisoft, if, you, if you're a game programmer, uh, a player you might recognize as uh, as a game maker. Um, so keep that in mind. It might might bear uh, something here. Uh, according to Ubisoft, the AI-based coding system uses the latest machine learning and big data techniques to analyze past bugs and regressions, create a unique signature for each one, and estimate if a uh, if a new piece of code introduces a bug. While the assistant, this is this is my favorite line. While the assistant does present false alarms, Ubisoft explained that as new bugs and regressions are added, the assistant will create new signatures and lower the false alarm rate. So, in other words, to get uh, this product to lower your bugs, you got to make a lot more bugs. Of course, <laughs> it, ha it has to learn. <laughs> Yeah, but if you're if you're doing TDD, um, you shouldn't get the same bugs. No, uh, not at all. 
<laughs> so I'm, I needless to say, I'm a bit skeptical that this is going to uh, be of much use for most agile uh, shops, but uh, that are using TDD. Let alone that it's uh, coming from a, a game company. Well, I can definitely see where a game company might actually make use of this because uh, for what I know of game development, they often do not go for, for rigorous um, automated testing at the level that we're used to. They do, um, they do user testing a lot, uh, and that is their, their QA process. So I can definitely see where they might introduce the same the same bug multiple times in various places in a really large code base uh, for a game. So they might find this useful. I don't think most normal uh, shops will. No, I agree. It seems like it's a symptom for another problem. Like, are you communicating about what you're doing? It's a smell. Yeah, exactly. It's a smell, isn't it? What is it? You, you keep making the... The smell is you have to keep making mistakes for it to find... <laughs> find future mistakes. Maybe if there was some way to uh, open it up to the world and find all of the mistakes ever developed, it would, it could create a, a whole arsenal of, of the sort of coding mistakes that people frequently make and use that as a yeah. repository to well, search your code with. Yeah. I mean, that's useful. Cause especially again, like if you have a, if you have a good teaming mechanic and you're sharing, it's like, Hey, yeah, guys, I screwed up. I made a mistake. I want to tell you all about it. Cause I care about you. I trust you. And I don't want you to make the same mistake as I just did. I think what's interesting about that, um, what you're sharing Lee, about the way this could work, I'm making, I'm making an assumption here is could it actually help you identify with data, those people that really aren't engaging in a team? Like, you know, the person that comes to retro, but just checks out and doesn't even share, you know, teams trying to hash out. Maybe you do a debrief after you've had a, a like a SEV1 incident and someone's just there, but they're not checked in. And that creates a lot of risk. I mean, you can watch them. Um, you can watch why planes crash on the Weather Channel and they talk about all the things they've implemented in um, in the cockpit to help pilots work together better. You know, basically back in the 1980s, which is why the number of air traffic, you know, really Bad air traffic incidents went down significantly in the late 1980s because it became standard practice from the FAA that as a, as a flight crew, you need to work together and you need to make shared decisions. So it's not just the captains in charge. I think dev teams, we need some reminders that we need to do that sometimes. Oh, that's that's interesting, Jason. The 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 airline, the 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 pilot metaphor. I would. I, I sort of think that, that I would... And by the way, we should put a warning on all those. Like, if you're listening to us on an airplane and you have flight safety issues, stop listening now, okay? Uh, so, <laughs> right. I travel a lot. I have no issue. I've been on, I've been on bad flights before, so I have, I have no flight safety issues, uh, so I can talk about it. But if, you, if you're like that, don't listen. So, John, what were you going to say? I was just going to say <laughs> that if, if you're in a crisis situation... Well, I was, going to, I was going to start with... Um, the statement that I think that the best decision-making comes from when you get a number of people triangulating on what's the right thing to do. Yes. But in, in a crisis situation, I'm wondering if you, if you have the time to do that, that sort of collaboration to get triangulation on what, what is the right thing to do. Well, so this could be a quiz for our listeners and a quiz for my fellow podcast hosts. Can we name the framework? Name the framework. Do, Name do, the do, framework do, do, about do. about causality and the level of causality in a system and how we should respond to the system as a function of our behavior. 
Oh, mm. oh, we've forgotten everything we learned in Agile Overview. The Kinevin framework, where you, the Kinevin framework, where we would assess the overall causality in a system and say that, yeah, if we're in a truly chaotic environment or an environment where there's less there's less causality between cause and effect, like something really bad, be it you're out of control code where you don't have any, you know, you don't have any coding standards, you're, you're down in production and or let's just say an aircraft problem. There's not a lot of causality there. So it makes sense to get a lot of people together and to make collaborative decisions. And it's kind of crazy versus if it's a simple system and it's very, you know, it's very procedural, maybe you don't need to collaborate. And I know the organization that we work for, we've we've previously taught this really to our development teams for them to understand the nature of their work and really then give them the opportunity to decide how should we approach that as a team. I wonder if this is something that we've uh, we've talked about, but never, never by name like that. Because I, I know I have talked about the Kinevin framework years ago. Now, okay, we, Well, it sounds made up. I, oh, oh, my goodness. Okay, show notes time. So everyone who's listening, go check out. I think it's Kinevin. It's the great video with, um, oh, uh, bro, it's, it's, um, oh, it's the, it's it, uh, Welsh. Uh, anyways, we'll put a link to a video all about the Kinevin framework in the show notes. So John can go get a refresher <laughs> on it and decide how he wants to apply it in his role. I need one. Yes, I need a refresher. I'm certain I'm doing the thing. I'm just not knowing what Kinevin. I'm just well, not again, tying it back to a name. Well, Kinevin framework. That's that's the difference between uh, people that actually do a job and people that just <laughs> teach about the job. Oh, oh, oh. The people that the people that do the job don't really care what it's called. Well, so I will share openly that I have. So I've learned as like a public speaker, like and as a keynoter, it's interesting. Things that will get you interesting feedback on conference evaluations is how much you reference in a talk. So like, are you, do you give a talk or do you write a book where every other sentence is a reference to something else and you like you name drop left and right? Or do you just kind of tell the story like John's doing here? And again, I'm kind of have a little bit funnier say, John, we've talked about that. It has a name. It's called the Kevin Framework. Okay. Um, it, we used, we've previously, I think, I think it was removal. We made our agile workshop a little shorter in our company, but we used to have the three day format. We did a whole Lego exercise on it where you had to sort the blocks that was developed by, I think, Agile 42, like again, 10 years ago now. We've got it. That, that wasn't the Lego framework. The, I thought it was no, the Lego there's framework. A, there's a Kinevin Lego simulation developed by Agile 42. Done at all the conferences. It's out there again. If you're a trainer, you probably are throwing stuff at your at your um, at your speaker right now. Say these guys are crazy. They forgot all this stuff. But but real life. Um, what the framework tells us to get us a closure here is you as a team member and how you're going to make decisions as a team should be a function of the overall causality in your environment. So again, if it's crazy, buildings on fire and someone someone offers to help out invite them into the cockpit and let them kind of you know take their advice make a decision versus if it's very simple we don't need to have 10 people figuring out how to solve the problem maybe we don't need to have 10 people okay john shaking his head okay so if well yeah if, if the pilot is running down the aisle of the plane asking for ideas on how to land well, this, this, so the way that that would present itself more would be someone who has expertise would offer to help. Hey, I've done this before. Could I help you? And then again, what I love about this, especially the way knowing if everyone knows once upon a time I worked at Air Force Base, worked a bunch of pilots, I went and got a pilot's license, uh, really respecting the protocol of the cockpit. The cockpit in some instances operates by invitation. So yeah, there's a, there's a flight crew up there. They're trying to fly the plane. Something bad happens. Maybe someone can help out. They would say, hey, I can help out. But then they wait to be invited in so they don't mess up the chaos. Now, if they're not invited in, then that's a question, but they should be. So if they have relevant, relevant credentials to help out. So interesting. So 
So what's the metaphor for that on a team? I think there is a team metaphor for that. Um, I'm thinking about things uh, things that have been popularized by like Safe or Skilled Agile <laughs> since we are doing an Agile podcast, okay? Like, are we? Are you guys familiar with the Safari pattern or the Safari practice? Sure, I am. That's where that's where you uh, bring other people in in situations where you need help with things. You might you might bring in their expertise. Yeah. Some people call it the guru. Yeah, pattern guru pattern, also. safari, whatever. But but it's interesting because number one, it's something where there needs to be some there needs to be some focus as to when it makes sense, so people can understand number one where is help needed, so they're going and they're actually providing value, and then also when they get there, you know. Is there a good collaborative process to where they're able to contribute to whatever the team's doing and come up to speed very quickly? Or is it where they're... That's a... Ch- Go ahead. I, I think that's a real challenge. It's something that Lee and I work with quite frequently where we feel like we ne- maybe need to... And, and you have probably in the past too, Jason, where you want to... You want some extra help uh, or you need some... You need some technical assistance with a specific thing. And we all know that there's this there's this immediate drop in productivity when you expand a team, right? I mean, we all sort of agree that that's a, a known ism. No, Uh-oh. increase the number of FTs and velocity just goes straight up. It's linear, but two right. people on velocity goes up by, <laughs> by twice as much tomorrow. That's how it that's works. What the gov- that's what the governance pattern says anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so th- there's, there's that dip, right? And, and then you and then you get some product you get usually some more productivity hopefully if things work out well but you never sometimes you never know sometimes it, it just flattens out and you don't really get the productivity the, the, the productivity boost or the extra the extra uh, forward that you were hoping for so I know the way that uh, that our company dealt with that I thought was a, a fairly nice way of thinking outside the box because it was more than just um, how do you get how, how do you get somebody to help you because in some in some cases that's just walk over across the room to the guy that you know knows this stuff and ask him to come help you but then of course you're pulling them away from uh, uh, from their stuff uh, from their project and then. Uh, he or she's going to have to come over and and help you, and then how do they how do they account for their time, right? So what we did is we actually created a thing called Guru Time, which um, was a special bucket that we could put hours to. That the company just said, "Hey, if you need somebody's help, go get it." This is how they can, uh, as long as they can get pulled away for four hours or or some small amount of time, and uh, and help on a topic. Then, um, then we have a way to do that easily and and kind of get the the paperwork out of your way. And uh, yeah, and from a and what it was great about that, Lee, from a governance perspective, since that keeps coming up tonight, I guess because I showed up, <laughs> it, it, it 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 to me, I see it as an investment, you know, because that's something that that was actually funded out of overhead. So so it yep. is something that you know, for an organization to do this, you know, you have to say like the fact that you have barriers that prevent people from working on to solve problems. What is that costing you? And things that in retrospect, I wish, I wish, I guess we could probably go look at the data and figure it out because we have data for years doing this. I wish we could actually de- figure that out and actually demonstrate like our ROI on investing in that overhead pattern. Something I do know for our organization where we implement this because right now, if you work like in an, if you're like a manager right now, you're probably pulling your hair out saying like, oh my gosh, this sounds like a free for all. It was amazing. We made this practice available and the amount of utilization it got was actually very low. 
was, it was that was like under it was typically I think it was around like a hundred hours or so on average a month for our whole company, and um, which to me one of the things I think we could have done better was promoting it and really encouraging people to use it. But it was um, if you think about how much it's going to cost you. If a team of four people is stuck for six hours trying to fix a problem, and they could simply very quickly pull someone in that could maybe bring that outside perspective and refix it in you know fifteen minutes, right there you paid for it in one event. So, I think people sort of use it use it begrudgingly. What do you mean by that, John? And, uh, I, I think that uh, with with engineered engineering types, people that are in engineering disciplines, uh, also outside of software development, they like to solve problems and software developers especially like to solve problems. And that that's part of the fun of the job is to solve problems and learn, learn as they go. And so they want to, they want to have the experience of doing the Google work, doing some learning, figuring out what needs to be done and then implementing it. And they're slow to uh, to sort of fast forward that process or, or skip over some of that by going finding a guru, and you know maybe taking a half an hour to find the right guru to bring them to the team or to make an arrangement to bring them to the team. They'd rather spend a day doing the learning and the googling to figure out what they need to do, and, that, and that's why I think that it's sort of like they they do it grudgingly, you know. I don't know what Jason, to say. Jason's biting through his well, tongue, I think, Lee. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so since I have to admit, something that we've never talked about in this podcast that I've watched for years, I love watching Shark Tank. And I love watching Shark Tank. I love Kevin O'Leary. I love Kevin O'Leary, you know, Mr. Wonderful talking about the money. Because, John, all you are describing is, hey, let's just go. I, I believe in learning at work. I don't. But what we're describing is we're we're trying to learn we're incurring some element of delay and waste which is ultimately costing us money when in reality if we had better collaboration you could get some of the learning benefit solve the problem faster deliver faster and reduce the cost to deliver whatever blocked you in the first place because you reduce delay yeah but you totally left out the fact that People, uh, especially developers, enjoy solving problems. Yeah, I get that. And well, so, so here's where I want to challenge it, this. It's, okay. a, it's a psychological thing. It's a human thing. It, yeah, but it's, a, it's this an isn't expensive. A, this isn't a money, it's an expensive human thing. Yes, but that's not what people are thinking about when they're working on a day-to-day basis. They, <laughs> they think about how do I solve this problem, and I enjoy doing that. Well, so, so let I'm me challenge. Work at it, and and you know, you always know that the answer to that problem is. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. For three days, you can be almost 95% there. 95% way. I, I've almost got it figured out. It's just around the corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then meanwhile, this is where the Scrum Master comes in with his clipboard and starts whacking people at stand-up. You said it would be done yesterday. So here's my here's my compromise. I want to try to offer a compromise here because I, I appreciate this. And again, I've, I've, been, I've done learning. Again, innovation business that I've been is all about learning, learning what you want to do. And to me, there's an important part. If you're that guru, it's how you show up to help. Because I could be the guru. I can show up and say, oh, I see what the problem is. Boom, 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 fix. So you walk away. It's done in five minutes. If I'm Kevin O'Leary from Shark Tank, I'm very happy because it was very efficient, but there was no learning. So I think this is where people who are engaging in this way, they need to know how to be a little bit of a coach. So you don't just show up there and solve the problem. 
or just tell people what to do. You guide them through a process so they learn as you work together to solve the problem. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, that's um, I think that would go that would go that would go part of the way to help making making that sort of more effective for people to use. But there's like like Lee was saying, and like I said originally, I'm not against using guru time. I'm all for it. Um, <clears throat> it's just that that psychological part of it, the people part of it, where they want to solve the problems, and they forget or um, neglect to think about the fact that they could get some help to fast forward their learning. Yeah. Well, so, so couple, I, oh, yeah, I like, want to say that I, I definitely can agree with that more. I can agree with that even more than John did. What? That it's of how people show up where you want to show up and be the nice helping, you know, coach type versus I'm Mr. Know-it-all. I'm a subject matter expert. I'm certified in how to do all this on all these platforms. Woo, look at me, AWS, you know, whatever. And Versus, okay, hey Lee, have you ever used this new um, this new API for child data management from Alexa? Oh no, let's work through this together, okay? So, because again, I don't know why and everything they would have created that, but uh, you obviously know it. I don't. I want to learn it. Uh, rather, you just tell me what to do. Help me figure it out. Let's work together. Let's spend th- let's spend an hour on it. Absolutely. And one thing about that, actually, as I mentioned, that this is a period where I think a time box can help you a lot. Where maybe you agree if you have a guru time pair, number one, it makes it a lot easier to manage on your budget if you, you're going back to reality here. But it's also a statement to say it, it's, it challenges people to be focused. So, hey, I'm going to come over. I'm going to help you get this started for an hour or two, but then I'm going to leave. But I'm going to make sure when I'm there for an hour or two, I'm kind of sharing and I'm coaching so that you and other members of your team can finish it. And the reason why I mentioned that is that has a lot to do with how you as the person who wants to help out, how you show up and how you behave yourself. So I got two I got two things related to this to kind of close this out and then we'll see if there's anything else. So to link a few um things that have just come up in our wonderful uh Amos gonna join us tonight, but just like Amos, this conversation had absolutely no plan. So give us your feedback. So number one, to to do our second commercial for Slack tonight, a great way that you can instrument this guru pattern is using Slack. Hence, have a Slack channel. Maybe have a Slack channel for different APIs you're consuming. Have a Slack channel for your PaaS or your platform as a service. Have a, um, have a Slack channel for your different kind of tech stacks. And a place where if people have a question, they can go there and ask. And maybe people are watching that Slack channel if they want to help people out in the area. So again, if you've got Slack or any other asynchronous chat tool out there, you can set that up and start doing it okay maybe you even do um you do screencasting that you could set up through the um through the slack channel and invite random people to join your screencast and you could do some mob programming how about that for an idea it's a great idea so the other one that i've been talking a lot about lately i'd love to hear if they're if again you guys tell me because you guys work closer to development than i do i'm out unfortunately in the consulting space well that's a fun place to be for me is um how about like dev analytics like like I've seen some organizations and I've had a chance to work around their dev groups. I haven't worked with their dev groups where they get, they get analytics back from GitLab about these are the types of, these are the patterns that we saw committed to our code today, like across all their teams. So think big development environment, uh, you know, hundred teams, lots of projects all working on a common tech stack. And you got people doing all kinds of stuff. That 
pattern. It's I've seen it like where they were having a lunch and learn and people were kind of talking about the code trends and they were figuring out where should we be developing shared code because we see the same teams committing the same code into their, their distinct code repos versus when they should be putting that into a shared library. But what they're doing is they're having those conversations through data that's being reported out of the analytics based upon what people are changing in the code repo, which I think is really freaking cool, by the way. So I don't know if you guys are doing that or... We are not, but that's that's something we'll definitely look at. That's Man, cool. I don't know. It's like people barely have have enough time to write their write write their code test first, you know, or, or to to do <laughs> just to do their basic job, and then and then you start adding in some of these these things like uh, analytics, which I seemingly sounds great. You know, I always am, am a voter for having metrics and analytics available to me, but what would I do with some of those things, Jason? What what did you have in mind that, or what was the example where you saw where, where somebody was using well, those analytics and how did they use them? Uh, okay. Um, I'll, I'll say something you should be mindful of, um, uh, something called head count, meaning that, Hey, we're a big organization. We have a hundred development teams. Uh, and, and to be fair, we won't go, we won't name this, but there are vendors in the space developing product that do, that do this. And there's open source you can put into your repo as well. But Hey, do you know that you have your teams basically doing the same work over and over and over again? And so ideally identify where you can align efforts and potentially either have your developer staff doing more work because they have shared code or effectively trim down your development staff because you eliminate the duplication because you identify it. So some of these uh, analytics tools would help help uh, identify where people are doing similar work? Yeah, in code, like in the, in the type of code, like we're all working in this type, this, this method or this type of method. So I, th- I mean, it's, I, it's, a, so it's people that are all working on the same code base. A very large code Very large, base. or it could be, it, you, you could set up to look across repos. I've seen that done to where you look for the trends between different projects um, or different repos. So, I mean, the, the reason I bring this up, and it is kind of a Debbie Downer conversation to some extent, is, you know, all the, um, there's all the, sh- since we talked about the news tonight, there's all the shock and awe stats that are on LinkedIn every single day about how in the future, what is it, like one in four, uh, no, three, in, three out of four jobs are going to become automated obsolete. So this idea that, we can leverage analytics and data to tell us how to write the code better or to guide us to the shared code that we already wrote so we don't have to write the code again. That's, I think, going to turn into something. But Well, if the robot is going to write the code anyway, why do we care? And the robot's going to find the bugs that the robot <laughs> writes. So Yeah, but they'll have to write a lot more bugs. It's got to write, write, write a lot of bugs. Well, so Lee, Lee, I'll ask you, or maybe this is a homework assignment. Is I mean, this is your, this is kind of your space AI. I mean, this idea of like code, you know, self-generating code, self-healing code. I mean, do you follow that? I, I, I read it on the plane, so I don't always. I get the high levels. Um, um not a lot. Uh, I did a, I did a little bit of, of, um, uh, non-official research into it. Uh, a decade ago. Um, interestingly, this, the kinds of thing that, that I was looking into was um, in a, from a TDD perspective, if you can, if you could write uh, a test or a set of tests for a piece of code that doesn't exist yet, and then have the, uh, the computer write the code that passes all your tests. Is there something that does that? That it sounds, it seems like there. There should be something that could do that. Well, in uh, there is. I mean, um, you can use um, 
genetic programming can do it. Um, although I, I don't think that's necessarily the right, as I found out with my with my stuff, it's not necessarily the right answer to that uh, to that problem. And like I said, that was a decade ago, so it's probably gotten better since then. They could probably uh, do something similar to that now. Because basically all you're doing with, with your test is writing a fitness function. Uh, so uh, as long as you can codify that fitness function, then you could definitely have a, a piece of AI write the code to, to pass it. Well, so our call to action here for everyone listening is obviously we're showing that, again, I guess I've I've seen a few things. I've read a bunch of stuff. I'd love to hear um, – I'd love to see some specific examples. So this is an opportunity for us to go out and learn and come back and talk about like, you know, these are the ways that you can instrument your code base with analytics that, and uh, you know, more than just code quality, you know, I mean, that's kind of, that's a good thing, but, um, but ways that you could leverage analytics in your day-to-day activity as a developer to make smarter choices. Um, and of course, I know there's there's an ever-growing um, plethora of tools out there that will look at your like your dev metrics and you know give you all kinds of insights based upon what you see going on there. Which uh, the space just gets better uh, over time. So, do you, do you guys remember uh, four, fourth generation languages, four GLs? Yes. So yeah. it, it probably I, I know yeah. we're all. Roughly the same age. Jason's the baby of the group, but wow! Um, back, back, well, hey, thank, thank you, Alexa, <laughs> for providing a new API for me to manage my dirty diapers. His dirty diapers. <laughs> it all comes back to that. But I remember when when I was starting college, that was like that was the big talk at the time, and this was twenty five uh, years ago or so. It was like uh, fourth generation languages are going to take over. They're going to obsolete all of the three GLs, all of the COBOLs and the and the Visual Basics and the C languages and and the and anyone been to a, anyone been to a bank lately? There's a lot of COBOL out there still. The mainframe is still down in the basement in most banks. Okay, but we, so. we never made it to the world of four uh, GLs where you basically had, like you were saying, Lee, where you're describing the fitness criteria, which was what the fourth generation language was supposed to allow you to do was sort of uh, in English, just describe, here's what the system will do. Here are the boundaries. Here's the thing. And then, and then the AI, they didn't call it AI at the time, but that the, the computer would write the code. So John, do you know why? I'm, I'm, why we have this problem? I'm dying to hear why. It has to do with something that we're just not very good at. Do you know I'll what bet, it is? I'll bet it's governance. Absolutely. And in particular, it's called end of life <laughs> because something we are really good at development. And again, you guys are doing development. I'm in innovation and consulting. We are really, really good at creating new stuff. You know, hey, I built this new thing. Let's push it to prod. Oh, it's awesome. Hey, it's a new AWS API for, ch- for managing your kids' data. Great. Do we ever go... No, I got to call bullshit on that. What? It's, I don't think it has anything to do with that we're not good at, or that we're good at creating new things so we don't try and innovate. No, no, no. We're, we're, no, I'm saying is as people working in the IT space, IT as a discipline is optimized for creation. We're incented for it. And hence, as a result, we, we love to build stuff. We love to put it out there. And then... We, we basically start to have the weight of, oh, well, we, we, could, we could implement this in a new, four, uh, a new 4GL language, or we could implement it in our existing platform that, say, is like Java-based. And because everything else is Java-based, because we've never, we've never figured out how to you know, say, okay, enough with that Java, turn it down, refactor it, and get it on a new platform or a new language so we can move forward. But there are no 4GLs. 
That's well, what I'm saying. Well, they never caught on because they weren't given the space to take off. Is what I'm saying. Because we were no, they were they were bullshit. No, we're, <laughs> they, yeah, they, they never actually worked. <laughs> Again, I think they were never given the opportunity to work because we were already we already had all the weight of all the stuff we had built. And to be fair, maybe like this uh, new Amazon API for managing your child's data, maybe there isn't a real strong use case for it. So maybe it didn't need to exist. Or the if it worked, all of your friends with the, their MBAs would have drummed all of the developers out of jobs. Well, so guess what? This is where if you go on Shark Tank, Kevin O'Leary will say, that was the worst idea ever. You know what you should do? You should take it out behind the barn and shoot it. So it was just a bad idea. That, that, guy's, that guy's an idiot. You don't like him? He's good. You got to know your numbers, Oh, no, John. I don't like him. Why don't you like him? Let's roll with Kevin O'Leary. He's ta- I don't even want to get into it. You're making me mad. Oh, I like this conversation. I'm making John mad. Ooh, Kevin O'Leary. Don't. Don't ever talk about Kevin O'Leary on this podcast again. But he's Mr. Wonderful. Johnny reminds me of you. Oh, Jason, shit. don't don't make John angry. You wouldn't like him when Whoa. he's angry. I'll, I'll, I'll turn into Hulk. Oh, that sounds like a Sir Dominance all over again. That's right. That's all about me. <laughs> what was that, like episode 120? <laughs> like episode 12. I asserted dominance earlier. Oh, really? Is that... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Early and often. Well, just, I like Kevin, fun. just like Kevin O'Leary. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.